said, we're beginning a series of messages on the church's core values. Now, you may be wondering, what, what is a value? What are values? And how, how do they differentiate from other elements of a, of a church's vision? Well, values are the constant, passionate, biblical core that goes deep. I mean, it goes really, really deep and empowers and guides the ministry of the church. That's what a value is. They're, they're the shared convictions that guide our actions and reveal our strengths. They're the mission non-negotiables. They're the things that we would never sacrifice, even if it meant accomplishing our mission. Now, one of the best ways I know to illustrate the difference between the mission and the values, the what we do it and the how we do it and the why we do it, is through something that we're going to be celebrating as a country here next month, and that's the moon mission, the Apollo moon missions. Now, if you remember, in early 1960s, President Kennedy issued a challenge to the country, to Congress, and then later at Rice University, he gave another speech about this. And basically, he issued a mandate, and that mandate was, we're going to land a man on the moon in this decade. Okay, so before the end of the 60s, we're going to land a man on the moon. That was the mission. That was the purpose. That's what they were going to do. But then, you know, the Russians were trying to do that as well. So how are the United States going to do it in a way that the Soviet Union might do it different? Well, the United States didn't just want to put a man on the moon. They wanted to put a man on the moon safely and return him to Earth. And that, if you've studied and read much about the Apollo missions, that was a very... Very present, very real guiding principle. It wasn't just enough to put somebody on the moon. It was really important that we get them there safely and bring them home. And there were lots of setbacks and lots of things they couldn't do when they wanted to do it for safety's sake. So that's the difference between a mission and values. The guiding values for the Apollo program were keeping the astronauts safe. Yes, we wanted to put a man on the moon, but we valued human life more than that mission. So what are the values of our church? What are the things that are going to guide the how and why we do what we do? Well, the strategic revitalization team identified and developed statements for eight core values that either were actual reflections of the priorities of our church or their ideals that we aspire to embody. So some of these values are, are actual, they're tangible. We, we can say, yes, we as a church do that. And a few of them are things that we say, well, we need to be better at this. These are things we want to aspire to doing. And the church was presented those values. They voted on them in April. And, and they're presented in no particular order. But I do believe that this first one is the most important because it is the foundational one upon which uh, everything else that, that we are doing is, is about. So the first core value is this, biblically faithful, proclaiming God's word with integrity, authority, and clarity. Now, sadly, this is not a value in many churches in our country, whether intentionally or incidentally. A lot of churches have subjugated the Bible to politics and human philosophies or the moral and social whims of the day. And they've done all of this in an effort to be culturally relevant. But the irony is that whenever a church begins to exchange the truth of God's word with political correctness or with the, 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 the moral whims of the day in order to be relevant, what really happens is that church becomes irrelevant. 
Because it's not saying anything different than what the world says. So why should I give up my Sunday morning and go and listen to that? I can hear the same thing on Oprah, right? So people today, now Hollywood would have you believe that people today uh, aren't really interested in hearing the truth of God's word. The news and social media would have you believe today that people are by, by and large against God's word. But the truth is that people today still hunger and thirst to hear the unvarnished truth from God's word. In fact, the American Bible Society and the Barna Group conducted a survey in 2017 about Americans' views and engagement with the Bible. And I want to give you a quick snapshot of their findings. 58% of Americans view the Bible as the actual inspired word of God without errors. That was a lot more than I thought it would be, 58%. 23% said they kind of felt indifferent about the Bible. 19% described themselves as skeptical, meaning they don't really believe the Bible is any different than the Bernstein Bears book, Ben. 87%, only 13% could be described as being hostile to the Bible. 80% of American households have a copy of the Bible in their home. And 58% of those surveyed wish that they had engaged with the Bible more than they do. So while many feel a cultural pressure to trivialize or apologize for or try to change what the Bible teaches, the truth is people are hungry to know what the Bible has to say, what God has to say about the issues we face in our life. It's no coincidence that the churches and denominations who are compromising on God's word are the very ones who are declining and it's the churches who stand firm and unapologetic on God's word that are the churches today that are growing. And thankfully, our church is in that latter group. Our church is a church that has made the decision to stand faithfully on God's holy word. But what does that mean for us as a church? What does that mean for us individually? How can we be faithful to God's word in our lives as disciples? Well, let's look together at 2 Timothy chapter 3 to see some good reasons why we should be faithful to God's word. Now, Paul is writing this. It's his last letter before he is executed. He's writing to his young protege, Timothy, and he's writing to him in the context of a culture and a society not too different from ours, where people are kind of doing whatever they want to do, what feels good, what seems right to them. That's what people are doing. And people are listening to false teachings. And so Paul is writing to him in this context and explains why we should be biblically faithful. And the first reason why is that the Bible is inspired by God. That's the first reason we should be biblically faithful. The Bible is inspired by God. You heard this in our New Testament reading earlier. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, the NIV here tells us that the literal meaning of the word inspired is God-breathed. That's what inspired means. It means that it's breathed by God. And it says that all Scripture is breathed by God. That means that though God used human beings to write the Bible, he is the source of the words and the truth that are contained in Scripture. And if the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God, if it does truly convey to us God's voice and reveals God's mind, then shouldn't this book shape and inform every aspect of our lives? Should it not guide our decisions, inform our thoughts, and permeate our speech? The Bible is the inspired word of God. Secondly, the Bible was faithfully preserved for us. The Bible was faithfully preserved for us. Let's look back at verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it 
And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. So why should I be faithful to the Bible? Well, the people that I most respect, trust and love value the Bible, have taught the Bible to me, have modeled the Bible and lived it out for me. And so that's why Paul is saying to Timothy, look to your mother, look to your grandmother, look to me, your mentor and all that we have taught you from God's word. Now, think about Lily and and the example that she has from her papa, from Dr. Dupree. I think about the people, the men and the women that taught me in Sunday school and discipleship training and RAs as I was growing up. I think about my parents and grandparents. But we, we can look even beyond that to think about the men and the women that God used to write the Bible, to record it and to pass it down, to defend it. With their very lives. I think about people like John Wycliffe and William Tyndale who literally gave their lives. They were persecuted and martyred just so that we could have the Bible in our hands in a language that we can understand. That was a radical revolutionary idea in its day. I saw on Facebook a sign the other day that said, if you want to thank a soldier, be the kind of American worthy of fighting for. And that's a great sentiment. And yes, we should be responsible citizens. And yes, we should live our lives in such a way that we're Americans worth fighting for. But how much more should we seek to live biblically faithful lives because of those who gave their lives for us so that we could read, know, and follow God's Word? The Bible has been faithfully preserved for us. Number three, we should value the Bible and be biblically faithful because the Bible tells us The salvation story, as Paul said there in verse 15. Do you know from infancy the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? The Bible is God's primary method of communicating to us. And the most important thing he can communicate to us is the gospel, the plan of salvation. Jesus, as Ben said, is the central figure of the Bible, and he is the means of interpreting that story. Everything from Genesis all the way through Revelation, Jesus is at the center. In the Old Testament, it shows us our sinfulness and our need for our Savior. The Levitical system of priests and sacrifice illustrate for us that Jesus is our high priest and the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. The Gospels, of course, record the life and the teaching and the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts reveals the birth of Jesus' church and models for us how we're to carry out His great commission in the power of the Spirit. The epistles help to explain and flesh out the meaning behind what Jesus did on the cross and how the Holy Spirit shapes us and informs our lives and, and what our identity in Christ is and how we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And the revelation foretells how one day Jesus is going to return to judge the living and the dead and restore creation as his rightful kingdom forever. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We must be faithful to the Bible because through it, people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Number four, we should be biblically faithful because the Bible is useful for spiritual growth. That kind of gets to the meat of of verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God breathed and is useful. Now Think about it. Christ's great commission in Matthew 28 says that we are to make disciples. That was the last command that Jesus gave 
before he ascended to the Father. That's rather important then, wouldn't you think? It's our marching orders. And a part of that says that we're to teach the people that come to faith in Christ how to follow him, how to obey his teachings. Well, thankfully, God has recorded for us in his word the very commands and teachings of Christ that we are supposed to obey. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he writes like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's the kind of intensity with which we should come to the Bible. We should crave for it. We should desire it. We should hunger and thirst for it in full awareness that this is God's word for us to discipline us, to counsel us, to teach us, to encourage us. There should be nothing more natural for a Christian than reading the Bible. It's like the air we breathe. It's like the water that we need to drink to live. It's like the food that we, that we eat to keep us healthy and to help us to grow and be strong. We depend on Scripture for our very spiritual survival and health and growth. It has the power to equip us and to transform us. Specifically, Paul says here that it teaches us what is true. It teaches us what is true. Through Scripture we can know the truth about God, about ourselves, About the world in which we live. The Bible reminds us that we are created in God's image. We are the characters in God's story. It's his story. He's the hero. He's the author. He's the great rescuer who came to save his wayward people. The written word, the Bible, reveals to us the incarnate, eternal word, Jesus Christ. And scripture gives us as complete a picture of God as our feeble minds could ever comprehend. The Bible leaves us no room for us to just make up our own opinions and thoughts about who God is. We are made in God's image. It's not the other way around. And it's the Bible that gives us the truth about who God is. It gives us the truth about our world. It narrates the world in which we live. It tells us where it came from, why it is the way it is, and where everything is headed at the end of the story. And that means that everything that we deal with in this world is addressed in the Bible. Our faith, our relationships, our finances, you name it. All of life's most important questions and issues find their answers in the pages of this book. It accurately explains the world in which we live and it tells us how this world works best. Being biblically faithful means that we not only proclaim what God's word says about life's issues with integrity And authority and clarity. It means that we must live our lives under the clear authority of what the Bible says. Listen, we have no integrity if we say we believe this book and then we fail to live it. It teaches us what's true, not just so we can believe it and say it, but so that we can live it. Paul then says it also is useful because it rebukes us of the sin in our lives. Now that word rebuke simply means to point out the fault. It means it calls sin, sin. God's Holy Spirit uses God's Holy Word to convict us of the unholy sin in our lives. When we read, study, meditate on, memorize God's Word, we should always have Psalm 139, 23, and 24 in our hearts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's what God's word does when it rebukes us. 
When we look to God's word, it should change us, as Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates, It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If you're using the Bible properly, it's not so much that you are looking into it as it is that the Bible begins looking into you. It becomes like a mirror and it points out to us our faults. It exposes who we really are. Paul also goes on to say that not only does it just rebuke us, not only does it just tell us where we're wrong, but then it corrects us. It corrects us when we wonder. See, God uses Scripture to correct our errors in our lives, in our thinking. And when we hold up our culture's ever-changing beliefs and opinions to the unchanging Word of God, we can begin to tell the lies and the half-truths and the false narratives that are out there in our world. See, Satan's lies can only be exposed when we hold them up to the truth of God's Word. Sort of like a plane. If a plane gets off course and it realizes it's off course, maybe it's about to fly into the path of another plane. What does that pilot need to do? It needs to make a a course correction. That's what the Bible does. It helps us to know when we've gotten off the course of God's path for us so that we can make a course correction before something disastrous happens in our lives. Psalm 119.9 teaches that God's word directs our feet down right paths. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. God's word is useful because it teaches us what's true. It rebukes us of the sin and the errors in our life. It corrects us when we wonder in our thinking and our beliefs and our behaviors. And then it trains us to do what is right. So it corrects us, but then it helps us to know how to stay on that course. Righteousness means the very mind of Christ and the character of God are forming within us. They're informing our thoughts and transforming our lives. That's what it means to be righteous, to have right living. First Timothy four says, train yourself to be godly for physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now think about all the time, all the effort, all the money, all the energy, all the resources that people put into their physical health and well-being. And and that's a good thing. But how much more should we put the same or more into our spiritual well-being? God has given us the tools. He's given us the equipment. He's given us the diet. He's given us everything we need for our spiritual training. As again, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused 
by evil desires. God has given us everything we need, especially his very great and precious promises that are found in the Bible. And it's through these words that we can experience freedom and transformation from the world's corrupt ways. So we can actually take part in the very nature of Christ Jesus. That's amazing. God is so good. And being biblically faithful as a church means that we take our cues from what God has told us in His Word for what we should believe. We don't take our cues from a preacher. We don't take our cues from Sunday school literature. We don't take our cues from a book from Lifeway. Or certainly not from Washington or Hollywood. We take our cues of what we should believe from the Word of God. Being biblically faithful means that we hold our lives up to the Bible to examine ourselves. To examine our church, our policies, our procedures, our programs. And when we as a church see that what we're doing is not lining up with God's Word, then we should confess and repent. Correct our course and make sure that we're being faithful to doing church the way God has told us to do church. We allow Scripture to define who we are. Who is First Baptist Church, Thompson, Georgia? What is it that we're supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to be doing it? And that means, y'all, listen, this is where the rubber meets the road. That means that our traditions, our preferences, you know, we've always done it that way. That kind of stuff submits to God's Word, not the other way around. God's Word is preeminent. And the final thing that Paul tells us, the reason that we should be biblically faithful is because the Bible equips us for God's mission. Look back at verse 17. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God gave us the Bible so we could be complete, mature disciples, so that we could be equipped and ready for every task That God gives us, you know, from the very beginning of creation, God has always called his people to be on mission. Adam and Eve had a mission to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Noah had a mission to build an ark to save the remnant of humanity. Abraham had a mission to have a family through whom God would bless the whole world. Moses, David and on Jesus, the apostles, the early church, us. God has always called his people to join him in his creative and redemptive mission. Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal to the world through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. First Baptist Church, we are on mission for God in this world as his disciples. As agents of reconciliation. As disciples, followers of Jesus, who are supposed to be making more disciples. We're supposed to be out there introducing people to our master, our savior, our best friend, Jesus, and inviting them to join us in the journey as we follow him. That's the mission. That's the task that God has given us. The Bible answers the question, what on earth am I here for? What is the purpose of my life? What is my mission on this earth? How can I be a part of what God is doing in the world? And as a church, First Baptist Church, we've said that our mission is loving God, loving people, and making disciples of Jesus from all generations. That's what we're about. 
That is the purpose for which we are here. As a church, we have committed, and I pray we will always commit, to valuing the Bible as God's fully inspired word, the complete revelation of His will for salvation, and the final authority for Christian life and faith, to preaching and teaching God's word with integrity, authority, and clarity. Now, how can we demonstrate this commitment as a church? I want to give you three ways that your strategic revitalization team identified Three ways that we as a church can demonstrate that we do value being biblically faithful. The first is to equip the members of our church in how to properly study the Bible. Listen, you coming to Sunday church to Sunday school on Sunday mornings and, and worship should not be your only engagement with the Bible this week. You understand? So we as a as a church, we as pastors and leaders of our church, we want you to know how to read and study the Bible, how to memorize and meditate on God's word for yourself. We want to equip you. We want to resource you so that throughout the week you can open up this book and God can speak to you at home, individually and with your family. That's the first way we can demonstrate that we're being biblically faithful. The second way is to teach the fundamental truths of the Christian faith in ways that impacts people's daily lives and allows them to share those truths with others. Again, as we do preach and teach the Bible, we want to let the Bible speak for itself. I don't want to just come up here and tell you what David thinks the Bible says. I want to let the Bible be its own commentary. We need to to take the Bible seriously. We need to be serious about what the Bible speaks to and not apologize for what God has said about sin, about humanity, or about how we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily if we want to follow Jesus. We have to be faithful in proclaiming that. But it also means that we've got to preach and teach that in ways that are reproducible. Again, we want to empower you to come to God's Word to hear what God has to say to you, to live it out in your daily life and share it with other people. That's how we want to empower you so that you can live your life under the authority of God's word. And, you know, just because I'm standing up here in a suit and tie behind a pulpit doesn't make me any closer to God than you are. I want you to hear that. And I know people kind of joke, you know, every time I go home to visit my family, You know, they always call me to pray before every meal, you know, because that's my job. Like I've got some kind of hotline phone to heaven, right? You know, bat phone, right? That little red phone the commissioner picks up to call Batman. That's not true. The same Holy Spirit that inspired this book, that lives inside of me, and that I hope and pray every week is speaking through me to you, is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and he can speak through you just as well as he can speak through me. Listen, he spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament, right? (laughs) He can use any of us. We want to equip you and empower you to be able to share that same truth with others. And number three, the way we demonstrate this value in our church is we make decisions, we conduct ministry and we lead activities based on. On God's word. Again, the Bible is, more, is meant to be more than just read, studied, and preached. It's to be lived out. And we as a church need to follow James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And we're not doing what the Bible says if we're not doing church the way the Bible says to do church. So we're going to hold up the Bible as our standard. And every decision we make as a church, we need to hold up the Bible as our standard. 
All the ministries and activities in which we engage and how we do them, the partnerships that we enter into with other churches and organizations, how we treat people. Basically, the rest of these core values I'll be preaching on, they're on that list because they're biblical. We need to make sure the Bible guides everything we do as a church. You know, we can stand on every promise contained in this book. But especially the promise of salvation. This book has been given to us first and foremost so that we can know that God loves us. That he made us in his image. That sin has separated us from our holy loving father. But that he loved us too much to leave us to our own devices. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. To pay the price that we should pay. The penalty that is due us. He paid that so that we could be made right before God and forgiven of our sins. And given eternal life. Do you know Jesus? Have you claimed that promise of this book? This morning I invite you to come and to put your faith your very trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, to forgive you, to cleanse you, and to give you life abundant and free. As we sing in just a moment, if you don't know that you've ever experienced that forgiveness and grace, I invite you to do it today. As I stand down front, you can come to me. We can settle it this morning. Don't leave here with any question in your mind that you belong to Jesus and He belongs to you. Maybe this morning you've been worshiping with us for some time, and you say, you know what, I want to join and, 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 and commit to being a part of a church that is committed to being biblically faithful. We're not perfect at it. We don't get it right every time. But that is our intention. That's what we strive for. And when we make a mistake, we own up to it. We correct that course. Will you come and unite with us and say, I want to stand with you as a church. That sadly in this culture is becoming more and more distinct. A church that stands on the word of God. Maybe this morning God would just have you to recommit yourself. To reading, to studying, and to living out the Word of God in your daily life. Whatever God has spoken to you, would stand and pray. You come as we sing.